until you run the numbers, you don't actually know. Because there's a lot of families, a lot of people traveling. There's a lot of demand. Just Frisco alone, the city of Frisco in Dallas, uh, in the suburb of Dallas, is more profitable than the actual downtown city of Dallas, right? The, the Woodlands in Houston is a lot more profitable than the actual city of Houston. Woodlands is a suburb, right? Tell you, a lot of suburbs, especially booming suburbs where a lot of people are traveling to, are making a killer amount of money. This is The Fighting Entrepreneur, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs looking to change the world. Learn how to start, build, and scale a business in today's highly competitive business environment. Here's your host, The Fighting Entrepreneur, Anik Singhal. What's up, you crazy fighting entrepreneurs? Guess who it is? Your favorite person in the whole wide world back today and stepping into the ring with me today is a very, very, very fast growing entrepreneur who I just am super impressed with. Seized the day, took ownership, no complaints, figured it out, and is scaling really fast using Airbnb. Now, I can already hear you, oh, not another Airbnb. I don't have money to buy a house. He doesn't own a single property. He's generating a quarter million dollars a month up to a, a month in revenue of which last month, all right, or at least the last month from the time I'm interviewing him was $110,000 in profit in one month from Airbnb without owning a single property. This is some killer stuff. I'm really excited. Now, those of you who've been following this podcast, you know, I'm getting super into this stuff. You know, I bought my first Airbnb, Airbnb property. I'm going to buy more. So I found our next guest on TikTok, which just seems to be on my new scouting zone for finding great people that are brilliant and doing brilliant things. Hit him up. He messaged me back in like an hour. I was like, hey, I want to have you on my podcast. And uh, we made it happen. He just got back from traveling. So I'm really glad he could make it. So before I introduce you to him, make sure you follow us at onicpodcast.com. If you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe right now, leave a comment, hit the thumbs up icon. And also if you're listening to us on any other platform, please subscribe and leave us a great review. It helps the podcast a ton. And head over to lurn.com to join the entrepreneurial revolution. All right, without further ado, help me welcome to the proverbial stage of our podcast today, Hamza Zafar. And he is just, man, what a killer story. So I have just the first time I'm talking to him today, but we did briefly catch up before we started recording. 25 years old, you've been in business for 15 months. You only just quit your electrical engineering job, what, three months ago. You're blowing up and you were saying, hey, the only capital I have, the only investors I have is you showed a scroll of credit cards uh, before we got started. You'll flash them again, there you go. So, man, how, what, where, when, like, how did you, what's your background and how the heck did you fall upon this, this idea and scale it so quickly? Start talking, dude. And now I'll, I'll probe and ask questions. Yeah. So I graduated from uh, university of Windsor in 2019 as an electrical engineer, to my bachelor's degree. And then right away I ended up getting married and got a job as an electrical engineer in Philadelphia. My company was based out of Detroit, but they made me move to Philly. So I moved to Philly in 2019 and just worked as a nine to five engineer, basically for the entire year straight. The entire time I was working, I realized, you know, I didn't want to do this forever and I wanted to get into real estate. What I then did was I basically learned everything I possibly could for that first entire few months on real estate, learning the bird method, watching other YouTubers like Graham Stephan, meet Kevin, all the big names on YouTube and learned everything I possibly could about real estate investing. So I decided to buy my first rental property in my hometown of Windsor, Ontario. I basically put 5% down, the house was about $175,000, and I bought it. It was a student rental. I was renting about for about $600 a month per bedroom, but I needed a lot of work. So I spent about $100,000 in renovations alone. Fast forward about six months, the house is fully uh, renovated. It's being rented out for $600 to $650 a month. It's making about $3,800 a month. And the mortgage and uh, is about $900 or $800 a month. Property taxes is $100. High cash flow, almost $2,500 a month in pure profit from that one duplex alone. All right, so life is good. I'm a real estate investor. I have a, you know, a duplex and I'm just living life. COVID starts and that's basically it. Just didn't do anything after that. Just kept saving every single dollar I have. Kept saving, kept saving, kept saving living off of just barely the, the very, very small amounts that you know I needed to live off of because I knew I needed to buy another house if I wanted to keep growing my real estate income. Now we're at about 2020 uh, COVID. You know, uh, it's been a few months past COVID. We're at around September. And I stumble across YouTube and I fall upon a YouTuber named Sean. Uh, I follow Sean from Airbnb Automated. I saw one of his uh, videos and I'm like, wow, this concept's really cool. 
And now uh, this guy actually lives in Philly. I live in Philly as well. What really intrigued me was I didn't have to save up, you know, 100,000, 200,000 every single time I had to buy a house. I didn't have to come up with 20% down payments every single time, right? With this model called rental arbitrage, all I had to do was basically rent the property, furnish it, uh, create the operations backend systems, and then sublease it or rent it again on short-term booking platforms like Airbnb. That's when I got to work. I watched every single YouTube video and free content I possibly could an entire weekend just to understand the base level knowledge of how this uh, business works. I spent about an entire weekend at work while I was working. I just basically watched everything I needed to know. And then I basically started cold calling. Step one was finding a landlord, a, a company or a building that would accept me as a operator. The problem was I had no experience. I had no credentials. I didn't have a business bank account. I had nothing, right? So what did I do? I faked it till I made it. I began emailing and cold calling and emailing and cold calling as many houses and apartments and places that I possibly could just so I can get in front of them and pitch them the business model. A lot of these buildings basically turned me down right away, like the very uh, first initial contact. But then I realized I need to change my game plan up. I started targeting houses that have been on Zillow for more than 30 days because these owners are going to be a lot more desperate to basically get these properties rented out, especially during that time in COVID. Rents were really cheap. People were leaving uh, to different areas. So people were hurting in terms of rentals. So I found a owner in Philadelphia and I told him exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to rent this house from you uh, and I want to put it on Airbnb. And he was fine with it because nobody was renting it from him and it's been vacant for the last three months. So that's what I did. I approached him in person, brought my iPad, pitched him the business model, gave him all the guarantees. And he said, yep, that's not a problem. Go for it. Uh, so that house actually came, three of the bedrooms came furnished. The fourth one, me and my wife, we furnished ourselves. Now keep in mind, I'm working my nine to five job as an engineer in Philadelphia at this point. My shift is from nine, about 8 p.m. to about 5 a.m. So I work the night shift every single day. Sometimes I work weekends, sometimes I don't. Uh, and at this time, my job was paying me around $8,000 a month post-tax. Uh, they're paying for my car, paying for my gas. So my expenses were very, very low. And I saved up all the money that I possibly could at this point. So I was ready to get started. The first house comes, uh, my wife and I, we basically rent, uh, we, we get all the furniture, get it fully furnished, get it ready. And then we started hosting on Airbnb. And that first month of October, we were just testing the market and understanding how the platform works. We decided to rent out each single bedroom separately rather than the entire house itself, because with that much turnover and volume, your experience in learning and how to be a good operator uh, is actually, uh, you learn a lot quicker essentially because you have so many people coming in and out like a transit hotel, rather than you know booking the house one house at a time, four or five days later and have another guest come. So our learning experience and learning curve was a lot quicker and faster because of this uh, reason. After about the first month, uh, I'll give you guys the numbers. The rent for that house was about $2,200 a month plus utilities. We made about $4,300, $4,400 a month. Uh, and we brought home around $2,000 in profit. Keep in mind, my wife and I were cleaning all the units ourselves. Uh, I would wake up from my uh, nine to five job at around 10 a.m. We'd drive literally straight to the property. It's about a 10 minute drive. I literally grab all the cleaning supplies I needed. My wife and I would be literally just cleaning, 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 getting the units ready for the next guest. And we did that every single day for about the first month, month and a half-ish. Then I realized, I'm like, wow, this business has a lot of merit to it. It's time to get the ball rolling and get started. Then I basically, as the time went on, I learned basically how I can, you know, re refine my sales skills, how to expand quickly, how to grow in different markets, how to grow in different cities. And that's basically what I did. I started co-calling landlords, co-calling and emailing people, uh, building up that Rolodex of owners, uh, meeting different property managers, property management companies, uh, millionaire landlords, people who own entire buildings, uh, big apartment complexes, um, asset uh, asset clubs. I was just talking to everybody I possibly could just to get my face in front of them to explain to them, listen, I can rent out 20 apartments, 10 apartments. Even though I did not have the money to rent out 10, 20 apartments, just by me saying I can rent out 10, 20 apartments in your building, got my foot in the door to have that conversation. That worked really, really well. So in about the first three months, I landed about 10 apartments in Philadelphia. And this entire time, I was furnishing everything on business credit cards. Went to Chase, went to BOA, went to Amex, went to everyone I could, Amazon, uh, Best Buy, and just opened as many credit cards as I possibly could. No interest, no payments, 24 months. So I didn't really have to spend any money up front other than the first month's rent and the last month's rent. And that's, oh, sorry, the first month's and the security deposit. And that's it. Um, so we're at 10 properties now at the end of December. Uh, sorry, about nine or 10 in December. And then I realized, I'm like, wow, you know, uh, I need to actually change my strategy and expand into different markets. At this time in December, COVID was still uh, coming back again. So the entire state of Philadelphia went on lockdown. 
I barely made it. I think my profit margin was like 10% that month in Philadelphia. Cancellations coming last Friday because of COVID. The city of Philly shut everything down. No more indoor dining. But in Texas and Florida, everything was booming. So I decided, all right, I have to expand my business to uh, to Texas or Florida. I found a finally a uh, landlord in Texas, in Dallas specifically. He had uh, six vacant units. And I told him, I can take those units from you tomorrow. No problem whatsoever. I flew out, my wife and I. Uh, we went toward the building and I told him I'll take all these six units. Now, a, a lot of the times when you guys are negotiating these things, I made sure that I wanted to get the best deal possible. So, and I always try to get months free in rent up front. For this specific deal, I asked for four months free on a two-year lease. The rent was around $1,000 a month. He said no. So what I told him was, how about this? Give, give me all six units for $800 a month because the net effective on four months free ends up being $800 a month, right? And with that, he was fine with so perfect. I got secured the leases for all six units in Dallas. I got it for $800 a month. Now it's time to furnish everything. At this point, I paid off all my credit cards right away for those 10 units with all the money I had saved up. I don't really have any money at this point to furnish these six units in Dallas, right? So remember that duplex that I bought in my hometown in Windsor? I ended up selling it on, uh, on the market. I bought it for 175, put in 100,000 into it, and I sold it for 400,000 that same month, right? Closed within 30 days, made about 120K in profit. Then I got rid of that and I took all 125K and just went to work with it. Got the units furnished, got the units ready. And at this time, guys, I'm still working one nine to five job. I told my wife, you know, because we don't have a cleaning team, we don't have any, uh, you know, actual people on the ground in Dallas, I need you to live in the city of Dallas for me. Uh, and I'm going to come every single weekend on the weekends when I'm off from work and help you out with anything that needs to get done. So my wife, that's what she did. She went, lived in Dallas for a month by herself in one of the units while overseeing kind of the builders, while overseeing the handyman, while overseeing everything to get done. And then she would basically go and interview cleaners, uh, interview different people that, you know, that we needed for our team. And that's what we did for the entire month until we got an actual solid team in Dallas, stabilized and ready to go. So, and that was our first six units in Dallas. Exactly one year ago to this very week, it's been almost one year now since we were in Dallas. I just uh, literally today posted another eight live listings in Dallas. So at total now in the city of Dallas, I'm about I'm at about 30 uh, Airbnbs in just Dallas alone. So that's basically what I've been working on uh, for this entire last year is just expanding the business and going to different cities, I go into those cities, hiring different teams. And then once I'm actually in that city, I don't need to ever go back there ever again because I have a team there that does everything for me. So for these entire 30 units in Dallas, I have, after I left Dallas, I didn't come back for at least another eight, nine months while expanding another 24 units, simply because I have the team on the ground that did everything for me and ran the entire operations, just like Philadelphia, just like every other city. Now, as time went on, I was still working my nine to five. In May, my job told me, you're going to have to go back to Detroit and start living in Detroit again for your job. I didn't have a choice. I'm like, all right, that's fine. In June, I basically moved to Detroit. Uh, I just were going to work my nine to five and just ran a business remotely like I usually would and made sure all my operations were operational and working while I was not actively in the business anymore. Because the main thing a lot of people don't understand is there's a difference between working in your business and working on your business. You want to take yourself out of the operations and just be a CEO and make CEO level executive decisions. The problem is when you're, when you're working within your business and focusing on the day-to-day -day operations, the day-to-day -day issues, you're taking away time that you could be using to expand your business, right? Tenfold. So I had like, I started watching a lot of Grant Cardone and got that like 10X mentality. We're like, all right, I need to expand this business 10X. It cannot be in the day-to-day -day operations anymore. That's what I did. I hired, every, I basically hired out for every single position possible. If I created an organizational structure chart, I put my name inside of every single position that had to you know, uh, be done. And then I decided, all right, I need to eliminate all these positions and remove my name from all of them. I hired VAs, I hired uh, assistants, I hired uh, city managers, uh, cleaners, housekeeping staff, supervisors, basically everything needed to have the ball rolling without me actually working in the business anymore. So that's basically where I'm at now uh, in terms of unit count. And the unit count that I tell you now, by the time this comes out, it's probably going to increase. I have so many deals that are in the works. Just today, this morning, I closed on another six units in Austin. I have another three in San Antonio coming. But in terms of unit count right now, I have 38 active live in Detroit, uh, eight more that are going to be starting literally in three weeks. I have 27, uh, 17 in Des Moines that are active right now in Des Moines, Iowa. 10 more are starting literally in two days. So 27 in Des Moines. Uh, so I have 30 in Dallas. Eight just went live today. Uh, yeah, so 30 in Dallas, Philadelphia, still 10, uh, Austin. I have about six in Austin right now. And then another eight or six, I think it is that are going to be live starting on the 22nd that I just closed on today. Uh, what's the other city am I forgetting? Dallas, Des Moines, Detroit, Philly. Yeah, that's it. That's basically where the business is at right now. Dude, that was like the best summary 
timeline I've ever heard. I just let you go because that was awesome. And I was following for anyone who possibly wasn't go back and listen again because he got into superb detail of how he funded everything at what point what happened. Um, you have a excuse my language there's a shitload of properties man that you've built up in like 15 months that is superbly impressive so congratulations um epic epic numbers um here's a question for you and i I got so many right so i'm processing and i'm like okay we're gonna get down to, to the questions i have one question now that you have all this cash flow now that you have you do have the ability to buy some properties do you ever intend to buy any properties or no that's not your model even if you're making millions Right now, I'm competing with a lot of big players in the space, right? So there's a lot of companies in the rental arbitrage space. For example, Sonder, Lyric, uh, Wanderjohn, Frontdesk, Barsala. They are big, big, big rental arbitrage companies, and they do exactly what I do. Sonder just went public for over a billion dollars last month, month and a half ago, okay? They don't buy, they don't own anything. They're just doing rental arbitrage. I am in the same buildings as Frontdesk, Barsala, uh, you know, Wonder John and all these other big rental arbitrage companies and the same buildings as them. They're my competition. I am leasing entire floors just like they are. And I'm, those are people that I'm fighting with every single day. Okay. Not the average regular person off the street. That's my competition because I have the power now to go grab 20, 30 units in a building. And so do they. And then the problem is if I basically, let's say like last month, I made $110,000 in profit, right? If I just take that and let's say, you know, save it. And then next month I save another 110, next month, save another 110. You won't grow. What what am I going to buy? Right. A $900,000 house. While that's happening, my competition is grabbing a 50, 60 more doors in other cities that I'm in already. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm not in the game of, you know, buying a single family home. That's not my position. Right. So I literally just came back from Chicago uh, from a VRMA event. It's a vacation rental management association. And there's an M&A group there, mergers and acquisition group. And they basically told me from the numbers you're making right now, you, we can sell your business for you for about three to five X EBITDA, right? So for me, why would I rather buy, you know, spend all my profit on buying one house rather than grow the business for another year or two and then sell to the big players for three to five X EBITDA, right? So they told me even now your business at this point, you can probably sell depending on your structure and revenue and profit, you know, throughout an entire variable uh, cost-based model. You can sell it for about anywhere from 5 million to 10 million. And I told them guys, I'm literally, I literally just quit my job three months ago. Like I, I just started getting into work, you know, like the grind is now beginning. We're at the starting point, like where I'm going to get to in the next year or two years, like that number better be at least 40, 50 million. So my whole goal is not to buy anything right now. My whole goal is just expand this company just like the other big players are doing and then sell to one of them. It's awesome, dude. You have such clarity on what you want to do. It's it's awesome. So so when you um you said Detroit, Des Moines, where's Des Moines? In Iowa. It's like capital of Iowa. That's interesting. Okay. Dallas, Philadelphia, and Austin. Are you in any other markets? These are your markets? I'm expanding to San Antonio soon, next month. So, so I just got to ask, why Des Moines? <laughs> it feels so random compared to all the other ones that you're, yeah. you're in. So you have to look at specifically in terms of market saturation, average daily revenues, uh, competition, and who's actually in the city, the number of listings, and overall unit economics. If you look at a place like Houston, Houston, everyone wants to go to, right? Houston is very, very saturated. Even cities like Austin and Dallas are starting to become more saturated now and competition is getting uh, tougher because everyone wants to go there. You go to a city like Des Moines, right? Iowa, there's virtually not a lot of operators like myself there. There's a couple of big players like Front Desk and two others, but a lot of single operators, not many, right? But the demand is still there relative to the supply. Des Moines is actually one of the biggest travel destinations in, in the Midwest, especially in Iowa alone. In August, they have the National Iowa State Fair. It's the second biggest state fair in the entire country, the United States, okay? So the money that I'm going to make in August is just literally going to be insane. It's probably going to be five times the rent, okay? So you have to look at the actual unit economics. The average rent, My average rents in Des Moines is around $1,400 a month for my one beds and two beds. They'll make anywhere from around $3,000 to $3,300 a month. My profit there will be anywhere from, I say $1,200 to $1,500 net profit per unit. Wow. That's a market okay. that not a lot of people know about. Now they do, so, now I'm talking about it on this podcast. <laughs> it's true, that's true. Um, I, so as I'm listening to you, I have another question. Do you have a course? Do you teach this? Like I've never clicked off on TikTok. I know you talk a lot about it in your videos, yeah. but do you actually have something where you put it all together? All together? Yeah. So I literally uh, just started my course like three months ago. 
Uh, and I just decided, I'm like, you know, and I saw a lot of people in this space, you know, selling uh, courses and selling education. And I do my research. They have like three units and they don't really know what they're talking about. So I literally post on my Instagram story. And I was, I mainly post on TikTok and Instagram for fun, right? Post on my Instagram story. Who wants to do a seven hour Zoom call to teach you everything you need to know about this business, right? Thousand bucks yeah. a person. And this, and I was going to Dubai in like five days for vacation. My first vacation in like two years. I was expecting maybe, you know, three or four people sign up, you know, pay for my plane ticket and whatnot. I had 29 people sign up within the first hour. Okay. So literally the next day I had a zoom call for seven hours and did it, you know, $29,000 made it within, you know, one day. Then I took that entire seven hour zoom call recording and I posted it online on a Shopify store. In the last 90 days without any marketing, any ad spend, all organic, never once will you ever see me tell anybody to buy a course. I even tell people I never bought anything. You do not need to. Only buy it if you value your time because it will give you a boost and a head start and not make the same mistakes that I made when I started. So in the last 120 days, sorry, in the last 90 days, I made $125,000 from that course alone with by virtually no advertising, no nothing, just all organic reach from TikTok. That's awesome. Uh, you're organic. I don't, I don't know where to take this, but I'm curious about that because I'm in the course selling business. So I, that's what we do. We're a publishing company. You get all of... Uh, most of your organic reach from TikTok? I, I've heard you say Instagram and TikTok. Instagram is basically, so Instagram is uh, TikTok basically my funnel, right? TikTok, yeah. the way that, if you learn the TikTok algorithm, learn how TikTok works, the reach is like 100X, right? I bear, I just post like my daily life on Instagram it's for people to actually see like what I do behind the scenes, the grind that's involved, right? Because it's not easy, right? And I show people, this is what's actually it entails of TikTok. I'll just make funny skits, you know, some videos here and there and boom, they'll just blow up. Like my one of my last TikToks has a 1.8 million views. The one before that has a million views. So my, my TikTok just go viral like crazy because, you know, I just make funny videos essentially. And when people see that, they're like, I want to see what the guy's all about. They see my Instagram and then they're like, wow, okay, this is where the real deal is. Let me see if you have something to offer. They'll go to my Shopify store. They'll see that he has a course for sale. It's $2,500. And they'll be like, okay, I want to learn everything I can about this business. Got it. So these are the markets that you're in. Uh, you talked about that. When you say you're getting six, seven, eight deals at a time, like you said this morning, you know, we launched eight new deals or whatever. Is it mostly now, are you going into buildings and just taking multiple from one place or is it like six individual locations? Yeah. So it's now it's all, so yeah, it's not worth my time. Right. Cause you have to look at it like this in terms of a return on your time investment for me, I will never, like if somebody offers me three or four units, I won't even bother because it's not worth my time. Right. I have a landlord's calling me saying, I got three units there. I have two units there. It's not worth it. I was just in Chicago and I had the opportunity to get two units in Chicago. And as I told the guy, I'm like, dude, like it's not worth my time. You know, I need to be able to take 10 at once, 15 at once, 20 at once, pretty worth my time. I have the operations on the back end fully stabilized and ready to go. I just have to literally take that inventory, pump it into my system and let the machine run by itself. Mm. No, it makes, so these are existing apartment complexes. Talk to me about how now, you know, you talked a little bit earlier. You're like, Hey, I hit up everybody and anybody because you, you weren't, Hamza at that time, right? You didn't have all these results, all the data, but that was a great hack. You said you go to Zillow, look for people that have their property on rent for 30 days or more without renting it. And you just say, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take it off your hands today. How do you do it? Do you, you're straight up looking for apartment complexes and calling them and saying, I'll take 10 units. No, so I don't do any of that anymore. My job is so how the, how the lead generation comes on the business is two ways. One is my existing Rolodex of people. Majority of the people that I know that I talk to that own buildings, they own buildings in other cities. Some of the owners in Detroit own a building in Chicago. One of the owners in Dallas owns a building in Austin. That building in Austin, the next door neighbor, he knows a friend, his owner owns a building in San Antonio, all right? A lot of these high net worth individuals who own apartment buildings have friends who also own apartment buildings, right? And when they tell mm -hmm. them, hey, I have a guy who just rented 20 units in my apartment. Do you have any vacancy? Then I get their number, make the introduction and go to work, right? That's the one way is basically expanding within my own network of owners, operators, management companies, uh, and basically uh, landlords. The second way is basically when I want to expand to a new market is uh, lead generation through my internal system. So I have a team of VAs that are basically uh, scraping through data online. I give them certain zip codes that I want to expand to, and they'll basically call up with a sales script that I have to every single apartment owner, building, landlord, management company. And then they'll basically mark down on a software that I have. If that's a hot lead, a warm lead, or a cold lead, anything that's a warm lead, I'll see what the actual information is. Then I'll, I'll decide if I want to call them or not. If it's a hot lead, I'll pick up the phone right away. And at that point, they're ready and willing to give me, you know, 10, 15 units or whatnot. Then I'll go fly out, see the building, tour it, sign the new contract, negotiate, and that's it. And then hire the team on the ground and leave. Got it. And what, so 
like for example, you're in Austin. What are you looking for? Do you, do you find that you have specific specializations? Like, hey, I want it to be at least a three bedroom, a two bedroom. You said, hey, I tell my assistants what zip codes. How are you determining? So, two part question: How are you determining those zip codes? And also, how do you know what exactly you want? Yeah. So you're in a business where you don't have the luxury of choosing exactly what you want. Okay. In this business, you have to take what you get. So how I do it is reach out to every single person possible and ask them for anything they have possible. Then I'll decide, all right, do I want this? Is, is the, do the numbers work? Do the unit economics make sense? The unit economics make sense on a three bedroom versus a two bedroom, right? Then I'll see what I have from the available yeses that I have. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, but at, but at some point, like in Austin, does it anywhere in Austin, just you, you don't care? Or do you, are you looking at certain data? Like, no, I got to be in yeah. downtown yeah. this area. There's a website that you, I use called airdna.co. You type in any zip code, even any address, they'll tell you exactly how much revenue it will make, how much the uh, average daily rates are, what the occupancy is throughout the entire season, throughout an entire 12 month, 24 month period, right? I have an entire, like, and I teach this on the course as well. Well, I'll actually tell you how to actually deep dive, do the unit economics, look at your competition, do some data scraping, and see if you'll actually make money in that unit in that area or not, essentially. So, for example, like these six units in Austin that I just signed for today, they're in an in a specific area. I type the zip code in, ran the numbers, the numbers made sense, the profit margin is there. I'm going to say yes to it. Okay. Question about AirDNA. So I heard AirDNA talked about on a different website, different TikTok or something. I called them, got on the phone. I mean, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember sticker shock. It was not cheap. It was like thousands upon thousands of dollars. And that's fine I, if that's what it is. I just wasn't at that time that serious about Airbnb business. I was just kind of exploring. Have you bought their Primo, their Primo membership? Do you, is there a hack I need to know about? You know, me and my friends, like, so I have like a close group of friends that are also in the business. They also make like, you know, lots of the same amount of money as me. And we just share an, a share an account really. So if somebody wants access to Austin, they'll just pay for that. So each city is a hundred dollars a month and, and you know, you can just renew it every month. So if you want the data, we'll all just use it. And then if somebody has another city that they want as well, we'll just basically, you know, pay for it and use it. It's a hundred dollars okay. a month, for whatever city you want the information for. So I always had only the entire package. It's a thousand dollars a month. Don't need it. Just whatever city I'm looking for, it's a hundred dollars. Got it. Got it. Do they have an all-inclusive? Like, cause, cause that's kind of the catch, right? How do I know what city I want without getting some data first on the city? I recommend, I recommend to every single person start in the city that you live in. I started in the city that I lived in at that time because it made learning everything a lot easier, right? Being in that city, being mobile, if anything comes up, I actually was the one dealing with all the issues and all the problems and the guest requests, right? And that made me learn what I need to do in this business in, in terms of what to look for in terms of hiring. Great question. So let's, well, great point. Let's go from there. So I'm not expecting you to know my area, but I live in a city called Gaithersburg, Maryland. It's, it's a suburbia town. I'm close to Bethesda, Maryland, uh, 20 minutes. That's kind of a downtown city. Um, I'm 40 minutes from DC. So I feel like that's probably some potential, but I've never looked at this area, but in my head, it's like, this isn't where tourists come. This isn't. So is there, I'm assuming this doesn't just work in any city that someone lives in. Do you have some criteria like so that I can start thinking? A lot of people are, you will be surprised. So I have seven luxury townhomes in uh, in Michigan, okay? Um, and I actually include that in a list as well, the list of units that I have. So I have these seven townhomes in Michigan. I'm not going to say what suburb. I'm just going to say it's in a suburb of Michigan, okay? Yeah. The rent for these are around $2,200, $2,400 a month. They're making right now $5,000 a month, anywhere from $4,500 to $5,000 a month. My profit on these is literally $2,500 net profit per unit, and it's 45 minutes away, almost an hour away from downtown Detroit, right? Who would have thought, you know, uh, a suburb in Michigan, an hour away from downtown is making that much money. I'm telling you, until you run the numbers, you don't actually know because there's a lot of families, a lot of people traveling. There's a lot of demand. Just Frisco alone, the city of Frisco in Dallas, uh, in the suburb of Dallas is more profitable than the actual downtown city of Dallas, right? The, the Woodlands in Houston is a lot more profitable than the actual city of Houston. Woodlands is a suburb, right? Tell you, a lot of suburbs, especially booming suburbs where a lot of people are traveling to, are making a killer amount of money. That's really interesting. Yeah, I would definitely, I want to go look into that because you're right. It's an assumption. I'm like, well, who the heck comes to Gaithersburg, Maryland? <laughs> you know, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a travel city. Um, how, how much do you, so, oh yeah. So the next part of the question is 
do you prefer two bedroom, three bedroom? I'm going to guess you're getting apartments and condos. You're not really dealing with houses because you said you look for bulk. So high rises, low rise, any preference? I know you kind of take what you can get, but is there a preference? Do you find something rents easier or better on Airbnb? Honestly, it's any, anything will rent on Airbnb, man. Like even private rooms wow. will rent on Airbnb. It's literally unit economics, right? I look at the studios, mm-hmm. I look at one beds, two beds, three beds. I'll take anything. I'll look at anything. But then I run the numbers, right? In some cities, one beds will make are more profitable than two beds. For example, uh, right now in Dallas, uh, one bedroom rents are around fourteen hundred dollars a month. The two bedroom rents are twenty two, twenty three hundred dollars a month. Okay, so it's almost eight hundred dollar difference in just rent alone, right? Plus yeah. a little bit more in utilities. But the actual money you're gonna make on a two bedroom in Dallas is not more than eight hundred dollars. Maybe an extra five hundred dollars, right? So it's more profitable to have a one bedroom in that specific scenario than a two bedroom because the unit economics are favorable for one bedrooms, right? Every city is different. Every city has completely different uh, demographics, trends, people traveling. You never know until you actually open AirDNA and look at the numbers and run comps. I was just going to ask you that AirDNA gives you that level of data: one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom, and all of that. You can filter by one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom. You can filter yeah. it by uh, specific uh, streets, blocks. You can filter it yeah. by month. You can filter it by year. You can filter by anything. Have you found AirDNA's data to be pretty reliable? Like now that you've used it so much, expanded to so many cities, is it pretty pretty spot on or within a margin of range? Well, I take AirDNA uh, data as a supporting tool in terms of uh, my assumptions, right? I also do manual uh, research as well. I'll basically have an Excel sheet. I'll, let's just say basically I, I do manual scraping of people's bookings. I'll take a look at all my competitors in the area. I'll see how much they're charging, what their rents are, surrounding areas, surrounding rents. I'll plug it all into my Excel sheet. And if it spits out a number that's profitable, then I'm like, all right, now let's look at the AeroDNA data as well. And that's giving me the same answer. Now we're good to go. Okay, got it. So let's say, I know it's going to be rough, but I'm curious. You know, one thing we didn't really cover, and we should have covered this in the beginning, is everyone, um, the way he's, the way Hamza is doing this is obviously he takes, he gets a lease from somebody just like if you were going to get an apartment and you're going to lease for yourself, but he goes into buildings, he gets multiple units, obviously he probably negotiates a discount because of that. And then he's just chopping it up, right? So he's, he's, he's releasing it at, on Airbnb. He's listing them on Airbnb, but he doesn't have to go through the headache of owning the place. He just has to service it and make sure it's, you know, going in and out. And there's a lot of benefits to that. Cause like the one house that we're doing right now, we've had some issues with, it's a weird issue, but it's like if we had a, if we had leased it, like that wouldn't be our issue; it'd be someone else's issue. Um, so I can totally see. I I did not realize though, Hamza. One thing that was amazing is you shared those companies' names that are selling their businesses. Um, I would have never thought that, and that's so cool. But I guess this whole world of rental arbitrage has taken off so much that yeah, I can see why your your contract alone has value in it. Your systems you've put in place for your teams has value in it. All, all these companies that I mentioned earlier, they're all VC backed. Every single one of them have venture capital funding. I don't have yeah. any of that. I literally have my, my venture capital funding is American Express Platinum. That's it. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. <clears throat> these last uh, 10, these upcoming 10 units in Des Moines, they're starting in two days. Average uh, cost of furniture for all of them, let's say it was $5,000. I'll put $50,000 on the MX Platinum, okay? Now, the bill for this is due in 29 days. I'll negotiate it two months free upfront in rent. So I don't pay a single dollar, okay? I get the units furnished and listed as soon as possible. So every single amount of money that I make for all 10 units is money in my pocket will then pay off this card by the 29th day. That's mm-hmm. basically how I'm recycling and funding and growing literally as fast as possible. That's amazing. Um, so let's say you found a place that rents $1,000 a month. Walk me through some of the expense, generally expense calculations you put in. So rent is 1000 uh what what do you what do you try to budget for furnishing per place and other costs you know cleaning and other things i'm just trying to figure out some economics of like some cost numbers there all right so i'll give you your one time cost and i'll give you your ongoing recurring costs okay yeah uh, so your first time costs are obviously going to be your furniture alone right well, a year ago mm-hmm. when i was furnishing one bedrooms it was like $3000 a month furniture because of inflation has skyrocketed like crazy TVs have gone up, smart locks have gone up, everything, bed sheets to shampoo, everything has gone up like crazy in price. So now my average budget for a one bedroom is around $4,500 a month, okay? And that's just a change in a year. If you're looking at this in another six months, it might go higher, uh, higher than this. Wait, you okay? said a month, you mean one time. That's, that's furniture costs one cost, time. Yeah, one furniture costs one time. Yeah, yeah, okay. 
Okay. Then after that, depending on how you strike your deal and how you negotiate, you might have to pay your first month's rent or the last month's rent or a security deposit. I always try to negotiate the least amount of security deposit as much as possible because my goal is to never leave these buildings to be there forever, right? So if I'm paying a security deposit, I'm never going to see that money ever again, right? You want to basically use the least amount of capital upfront as much as possible. A lot of buildings ask for a month's security deposit. I negotiate with them and tell them, listen, I'm going to give you guys $200 a month uh, as a $200 security deposit. And that's just there. So you have something. Don't worry about the property getting damaged. Don't worry about getting destroyed because then I'll be losing money, right? It's in my best interest to keep the property in a one tip top condition. And you know, depending on how good of a salesman you are, you can sell like that. They'll say yes. So my security deposits are very, very small. I barely use pay any money security deposits. Even last month's rent, I try to get out of that as well because I never plan to vacate, right? I plan to be there forever. Why would I pay last month's rent? There's no point. I try to get rid of that as well. So the only thing I'm really in for is if you know my first month's rent, which is like say a thousand, thousand five hundred dollars a month. And that small $200 security deposit. Then you're going to uh, uh, use buy your furniture, furnish all the, the units, and that's it. Now, your ongoing monthly cost is electric, water, gas. A lot of the times, the building themselves pay for the uh, water. So all you're paying for is electric and gas. Uh, then after that, you're going to pay for uh, softwares. I use a lot of software. Like 98% of the business is entirely automated because of software and technology. The thing is, these softwares and technologies are not cheap, right? So just for just on a per unit basis, I'd say I'm spending an a $75 a month on software subscriptions alone. There's probably seven or eight different softwares that I use. Each of them are, let's say, are, you know, six or $5 a listing. It adds up, you know, some of them are $11 a listing. It adds, it adds up over time. So let's say it's $75 a month, just software that I use alone. Then after that, uh, you're looking at maintenance costs. Really, majority of the actual maintenance is on the building itself. They have to fix any of the issues that are wrong with the unit. For example, if a fridge doesn't work, the oven stops working, uh, you know, anything like that, the building, it's on the uh, landlord themselves to fix it. Okay. My maintenance costs are things like if a chair breaks or, you know, or like a, like a uh, table gets dented or anything like that. It's very relatively small. It's not that much. I just, ex, you know, ex, uh, expense $20 a month, let's say on general maintenance for, uh, for units. Okay. Then cleaning supplies. I budget on average around $50 a month for a one bedroom unit in terms of cleaning supplies. Uh, and that's anywhere from toilet paper, paper towels, garbage bags, disposables, um, you know, things that need to get replaced, uh, things that get broken. $50 a month essentially covers all that from in terms of just uh, disposable and replenishable supplies. Um, then besides that, that's pretty much it from the top of my head that I can think of in terms of your monthly expenses for your units. What kind of staff do you need for this? So you need a cleaning crew. Um, you, do you do you have a property manager? Do you have a virtual assistant? Like walk me through some of the staffing. Yeah, so how staff, how my staffing works or company organization is that each city has its own dedicated team of virtual assistants. All my virtual assistants are all ex-Airbnb employees. They're all level two case managers or above. Don't hire anybody other than, uh, other than level two or, uh, or, or, I don't hire anybody underneath a level two case manager. All have to be ex with experience from Airbnb. They have to have worked at Airbnb for a minimum of one to two years and they have to be level two case manager or above. Then I hire them on to work for me full time. There, I don't really have to train them that much in terms of the actual Airbnb software or the Airbnb uh, you know, system because they work there. They know the entire ins and outs. They even know things better than I do because they work there. They know their backend. They know what to look for, you know, how to do certain things that you know I can't talk about, but they know how to do a lot of things that a lot of people don't unless you work there, right? So I hire all of them. Each city has a dedicated of three to four different virtual assistants that handle guest communications, team communications, scheduling cleaners, handyman, maintenance people, um, like laundry, everything. They basically run the entire show, okay? Now, as new VAs and virtual assistants get onboarded and hired on, I have my supervising VAs that get paid the most, and then they teach them everything they need to know to get them up to speed, okay? And that's essentially like the entire business where they're running the entire show. Now, add software onto that and all the software integrations that I have running in the background, that's like 98% automation right there. You literally can go away for a month. I can go away for three months and have the entire business running and doing its own thing. I was in Dubai and Saudi Arabia for like uh, the all the entire month of like February and Jan half of January. And I was in a different time zone. Literally every single day, the VAs know they have to write a daily report of what went on, any major issues. And as there's changing shifts, there's a one hour overlap gap. That way the person in the morning lets the person in the afternoon know of anything critical, important that has to get done before the end of their shift, right? Or if a guest is coming, they're checking early, let them know so they can uh, you know, be prepared ahead of time. I'll check that every morning when I wake up, see how everyone's doing, and I'll put my phone away. And that's basically the entire business. Once you have VAs, virtual assistants, 
and you have all the software and automation in place, that handles all your backend operations. In terms of the actual on boots on the ground, your cleaning team is all you really need because your cleaning team is they're the people who are going to the property for you, inspecting it, making sure you know everything's uh, looking good. Uh, if there's anything damaged, they'll send a picture, they'll report it. Uh, and then besides your cleaning team, you need a handyman slash runner. Handyman, just someone on call in case anything breaks, anything you know happens, uh, something needs to get fixed, have them come right away, fix it, and then go. You don't need to hire anybody full-time. And that's the another big thing is that in this business, a lot of people think I need to hire a property manager, a city manager, all these things. You don't need to. Why would I pay someone a hundred thousand dollar salary for literally no reason? If my entire team is, you know, handling all that, you know, uh, front end stuff by themselves, right? Mm -hmm. I'm very, very heavy on VAs and lighter on, on the ground personnel, because a lot of the issues that people have, you can make sure they don't happen if you're prepared ahead of time, right? Where I do recommend getting an actual city manager, which I actually just, just hired one like recently, um, for, De for my, the city of Detroit. I have 38 units in Detroit right now, another oh, six or eight coming literally in about the end of April. And then I'm working on a deal for 40 more in Detroit by August, right? So I know I'm going to have 60, 70 units in the city. All right, now it's time to hire somebody full-time city manager, pay them a full-time salary, and they're just going to basically run the entire operation for me in that city. Meeting with buildings, weekly meetings with property managers, weekly meetings with cleaning staff, and just running the entire operation for me, right? That's when it makes sense. And you have the actual margin, right? To afford someone who's going to do that for you full-time. Got it. Yeah, makes perfect sense. When you say virtual assistants, in my mind, I always think about people offshore or things like that. Uh, are these virtual assistants offshore? Of course, I pay them about anywhere. If I start them off at about $1.50 an hour to up to $3 an hour, and then bonuses every month, anywhere ranging from $10 a month bonus to $50 a month bonus. It might not seem like a lot, but from the country they're from, it's actually it's actually a good amount of money. How do you how do you hire specifically ex-Airbnb employees? Is there, how do you- That I can't share with Okay, that you can't share. All right, got it. Finally finally found a place where I could, I could push a button. Um, but- if, if they weren't, where would you recommend someone to start? So for a minute, let's say. Yeah, the, the number one website where you, everybody goes on is Upwork. Upwork's the best. Uh, Upwork okay. has a lot of the, you know, people that are looking for virtual assistant jobs from overseas and they post, you know, their experience on what they can do, what they can offer, what value they can bring on Upwork.com. So you go on Upwork, you need to hire anybody for anything, freelancer, Upwork is a place to do it. Fiverr is another good one, but Fiverr is mainly for one-off tasks, right? It's not really yeah. hiring somebody full-time. What a lot of people do, and I did it once, or I ended in the beginning too, you hire somebody off Fiverr, they do a good job one time, and just tell them, hey, get off Fiverr, I'm going to hire you full-time. Oh, that's awesome. So now, even though I'm not currently going to be doing this business model because I've got like 17 businesses in line that I want to launch, thanks to this podcast, every single time I talk to someone, I want to turn around and launch a new company after that. Um but just for fun, I'm going to try to figure this out because I like these little puzzles. I'm going to try to figure out how you find ex-Airbnb people. I will not reveal on this podcast. If I, if I think I know it, I'll text it to you, all right? And you just give me the head nod. And I will never publicly reveal it, but I just, you know, <laughs> I like figuring out these kinds of puzzles. Um, I don't know, dude. I got like 15 other questions or I really don't. I get it. it. It doesn't need to be more complicated than this. Than this. It, it really, now, it really honestly isn't. It's very, very simple. Just understand like, so the way I, I've been expanding like crazy is that it's simple math equation, right? How much net profit are you bringing in every month, right? Have the deal flow structured for next month. Know how many units you're going to get. And do you have enough cash in the bank to basically, you know, fund that deal? So last month of the $250,000 in revenue, let's say 110,000 was profit. Now with that 110,000, I can probably go furnish 25 units. Okay. I already use all cash because I'm going to use, you know, these Amex platinum cards. I can go put $150,000 on these two cards. Right, I have a 29 day. I technically have a net 30 essentially from Amex Platinum. Then I'll go furnish them, get two months free, pay off a huge amount, probably half that or even more than half that from that first two months free, and pay off the rest in cash right away. Rinse and recycle, repeat. Right, more units are coming in, deals are flowing in. Manage your cash, manage your revenue, have your systems and operations in place in the back end, and keep growing those business as literally fast as you can. Once you start, like literally, it's you're gonna go like this. Yeah, I think. So you know what's 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 interesting, um, and and I'll share this with you because I share with everybody. So uh, the the property that we launched in Fort Lauderdale. So this one I actually bought, and we had got a property management company out there, and you know we we got it, it's an awesome property. Got it refurb, whatever. Did the best we could. We were trying to use their guidance. I just got connected to the wrong firm. It was just the wrong property management company. We were lied to. And, uh, well, so I don't want to put that on. <laughs> I'm not going to put that out there. 
can, you can say it. they're all they're, they're all trash. <laughs> no, I, I'll choose not to say it, but they're out of business now anyway. So that's what happened. They, you know, they deserve it. They're out of business. Um, and but here was the cool thing. They listed us the night they listed us. Dude, I woke up. I mean, that thing was getting booked up like crazy. It was like an adrenaline shot, right? It was epic. Loved it. Awesome. Now they ran it like crap. And problems started coming up and we started realizing we had issues. So we had to, and, and we were getting ready to fire them that week. And they come along and just said, oh, by the way, uh, we want out. And the way they exited too was just ridiculous. Like it was horrible. Thankfully, in the meantime, through a, a, a friend, we had been referred to someone else who we've loved working with. He's awesome. But this transition was rough, man. And you know, when you got momentum going on something, and then the damn thing just completely falls apart. So, so we, we had to kind of take the listing down, lost our reviews, had to start all over again. And this time around, it's just not getting that oomph of red, like nights. Cause I was ready. I was like, all right, this is it. Airbnb is like, I, holy crap, this is so much fun. And like the last week or so I was, I've been like kind of bummed out about it. And I don't want to bug that person right now. Cause they're dealing with 17 messes that the other management firm created. You seem so confident. You're like, I don't even give a crap, man. I get a place. If I list that thing, it's going to book. Um, in a situ have you ever had a situation like where there was a lull? What do you do? Do you just drop prices? Do you have like create a new listing? There's a, there's an entire part of the business that people don't understand, and that's called revenue management. Okay, Marriott Hotel literally hires area directors, pays them quarter million a year to do the revenue management for them. Okay, Delta Airlines, American Airlines, they literally have data scientists and software engineers and statisticians working on revenue management for them, okay? Once you understand revenue management, then you can understand how to get your calendar booked and filled, okay? You have to understand, you are in the goal to make as much revenue as possible every single month, okay? Whether you're dropping your prices as low as possible to fill in orphan days, to fill in gap days, to increase them for farther out days on your weekends, minimum night stays, right? Uh, certain increases on weekends. Like that's an entire like five hour course I can make by myself just to teach you revenue management. And still you won't be an expert at revenue management, right? Learning yeah. revenue management, using the right dynamic pricing, software algorithms to price everything proficiently and effectively, especially when it comes to seasonality is an art, right? And if you don't understand yeah. that part, it's going to be hard to fill the calendar and make the most amount of money as possible. So let's say we're paused, right? Let's say right now we, cause we started a new listing. So we have two reviews. So we still haven't hit that three, right? To get the stars. Um, we have about half of April booked. Well, before April started, we had about half. We haven't really filled up any other days. Would the, would your current, like, you know, adrenaline shot just be drop the prices? Um, Essentially, um, yeah. So that's what you yeah. have to do, right? You have to use some type of dynamic software, right? When you're using dynamic pricing software, what it does, it takes into account what your competitors are charging. It takes into account how far out your calendar is booked, right? If your calendar is booked, you know, uh, really far out, then it'll change the prices depending on, you know, what your calendar is or looking like right now. Some of the pro softwares that I recommend using is beyondpricing.com, wheelhouse, or price labs. I personally use Price Labs. It works really well for apartments. The pricing structure is really good too, especially if you have multiple units in the same building. I was using Beyond Pricing for like the last eight months and I just imported the entire company's listings all over to Price Labs. Wheelhouse is another good one, but you have to be using some type of dynamic pricing software algorithm. You cannot be pricing it yourself. You have no idea what you're doing. We, we Labs, is that the last one? So I, I got Price Labs, Price Instructor, Beyond Pricing, and then what was the other one? No, so it's Price Labs. Uh -huh. You got Beyond Pricing uh -huh. and Wheelhouse. Wheelhouse. Got it, got it, yeah. got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm i pretty sure they are, but I'm going to find out about it. Um, epic story, man. This is awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that you'll be willing to come back on in a few months. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have fun. We'll track like how many, you're probably going to add like 100, 200, 200 units by that point at this rate. So, um, and I will continue to watch your story, uh, on TikTok. I'm going to, I'm going to Europe for a month in, in August and take a vacation and like chill out and relax. So probably not a hundred, at least, at least probably 40 to 50 by the end of the summer for sure though. What's your goal? What, well, how many, how many do you want to have? I know you got a goal. You're, you're 10 Xing your grant card owning. Honestly, I literally don't have a goal. I just live life. For me, it's not about money, man. Honestly, when I was making 20 grand a month, when I was making 30 grand a month, 40 grand a month, my life has not changed. The clothes I wear are still, I still wear $10 t-shirts. Dude, I drive a Toyota. 
Literally nothing has changed in my life. The one biggest thing and the reason why I do all this is because I get to have freedom in my life. I get to go wake up in the morning, go to the gym, go work out for two hours. Then I get to come home. My wife will make me some great lunch. Then I'll go play basketball and shoot hoops at the gym for another two hours and go for pickup runs. Like that's the life that I, I love living. You know, I hated being a corporate slave. I hated waking up, taking shit from my boss. I hated being a, you know, an engineer, like just working, working, working nonstop. The, for me, it's about freedom, man. Honestly, it's not about the money. Like literally, even though I'm making all this money, I literally spend like $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month. That's it. Like I don't buy anything expensive. I don't spend fancy money. I do nothing. I literally just want that freedom so I can go enjoy my life. Right. Cause it, it comes down to at the end of the day, like what actually, you know, like do you look forward to what actually makes you happy for me working out, going to the gym, lifting weights. That makes me really happy and playing basketball, you know, at the gym, like that makes me pretty happy too. Besides that, if I have the freedom to work on this business and just win in the game of business, when in life, that for me is an adrenaline rush, right? That's fun. And then just spending time with my wife, man, hanging out with my wife, going places, restaurants, going out to eat, just doing fun things, taking uh, vacations and enjoying life. That's really it. But besides that, I don't have a goal, man. We'll just keep going and see how far I can get. That's pretty much it. As long as like, and I tell myself, as long as I still have the freedom to go do whatever I want, I'll still keep growing the business. Love it, man. All right. I'm going to make some commitments to you because I, I really am learning a lot about Airbnb and stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. I am going to take your course. I'm going to go buy it and I'm going to take it. I don't know when, so I'm going to I'm going to step first and my request and my public pressure to you is just once I do, I want to be able to just send you at least one. Like I'm going to go out and look for something and I just want to be able to be like, "Hey, does this match?" um and and just get your your insight on that to see if I'm on the right track. Private Facebook group. Uh so once anybody buys the course, you get added to the private Facebook group. We have about 110 members right now. Anytime you have a question, any deal you come up with, you can literally post it in that group. I reply to everybody. I help everybody out. If they have a negotiation or a contract they need help with to understand, I help them out too. I have no problem doing that. It's a quick voice message or a quick post in the Facebook group. A girl that literally just closed six units in Tampa, Florida, literally just posted them into the group. And now, you know, I was guiding her, you know, as she started her journey. And now she has six Airbnbs, literally from zero to six, right? So that, just that value of being in a group like that, being surrounded by like-minded wow. entrepreneurs and individuals is really beneficial for anyone looking to purchase the course. Because like I said, you don't have to purchase anything. All the material out there is free, right? I learned everything by myself and I pay a dollar for anything, right? If you value your time and you want to head start and be in a community of people that actually are doing the same thing as you, then it's beneficial to you. No, epic, man. Um, feel. Yeah. I've, I've finished this podcast. I feel like I'm going to run through a brick wall right now. I just, I feel energized. Good for you. Awesome stuff. Congrats on all your success. And um, where can people find you? Where can people get a hold of that course? Tell, throw some stuff out so people can come follow you. Find me on TikTok. My TikTok is Hamza Zafar BNB. It's H-U-M-Z-A-Z-A-F-A-R-B-N-B. Instagram, same thing, Hamza Zafar BNB. And the link to all my business insider articles, my courses and everything like that, it's all in the links and my social medias, Instagram and TikTok, two main ones. I have a YouTube channel. It's called just Hamza Zafar. I don't really post much, but I'm going to start doing that more often now. Awesome, man. All right, everyone. Um, this is how I found him. I've been following him on TikTok for many months now. And so I've really enjoyed his content. He puts out pretty detailed stuff, um, which is why I knew what he was doing before he even came on. So uh, without without anything else really left on my side to say, Hey man, all the best with your stuff. Go out there, enjoy your month in Europe. Um, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future and to the rest of you go take some action, man. There is so much opportunity in this world. Like seriously, it's all around you. It's a matter of you grabbing it and running with it. And when life pushes you, what do you do? Stand straight, smile, push it the heck back. Make sure you click subscribe. Make sure you talk, tell other people about this podcast and make sure you go follow Hamza on all of his social media and learn from him. Thanks so much. Go out there, fight for your dreams. Until next time. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Singal.